All right, welcome to another episode of Banter Over Whiskey. Thank you all for joining us. And uh, my name's uh, John, aka Whiskey and Sound. I'm joined by Brad, Wes, and Vic. And we also have a special guest who uh, is joining us on his afternoon across the waters. And that is Michael Myers from 291 Distillery in Colorado. So thank you very much for joining us um, on our morning, but your afternoon. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I'm actually on the East Coast. I'm traveling um, and I'm in Massachusetts. So Great Barrington, Massachusetts today. So it's six o'clock PM for me. So definitely whiskey time. Yeah, whiskey time. definitely. <laughs> definitely. So, and, and what's the, um, and what's the current uh, climate over there? Is it like, is it, um, is it uh, still winter or is it tipping over to spring or? Still winter, moving to spring. Um, so it's uh, tonight around 20 degrees here. So yep. snow on the ground. Definitely whiskey drinking well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Very good. And um, uh, so I believe uh, the uh, – well, look, you know what? It's, it's actually – there's so many questions that we want to ask, and we're very excited to ask these questions, and we just – I don't know which one to ask first, really. So we'll take it from the top and basically ask, first off, um, why Colorado whiskey? Why – 291 so what got the ball started with your journey into creating a distillery and making yeah. whiskey so i was a fashion beauty photographer in new york and 9 11 changed my life and i uh lived about three blocks from the world trade center um was on real close when the first plane hit and um my ex-wife at the time, my wife at the time, her parents lived in Colorado, so Colorado Springs. So um, we couldn't get back into our apartment. So we went there. I started commuting back for my work. And it got to a point um, where I wasn't commuting weekly anymore. So I'd commute for jobs. And I had a job in August 2010 for Vanity Fair magazine. And I was driving back or flying back and read an article looking for something different to do uh, had been ten, almost 10 years and um, really tough on my family and, and me traveling that much. And so looking for something else to do that I could stay in Colorado, be creative. And, and so I read an article about the guy that created Hendrix Gin and Sailor Jerry uh, and thought I could brand a whiskey. And then somebody said, why don't you try and make it? I'm from Georgia. They make it in the woods. How hard could it be? And um, so I, I, yeah, I um, had never brewed beer or distilled, um, didn't know much about it and um, talked to a friend that was a brewer and he said, get your license and I'll try and help. And I started in 300 square feet. I needed a still. Um, I went, reached out to Vendome, an American company that builds all the stills here and has for over a hundred years. And it, it was like a $50,000 still for 50 gallon. And I'm like, I can't afford that. I've never made this stuff and um, decided that I could build my own. And so I wow. learned about that. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, my still is built out of uh, photogravure plates. You need copper. So I had these copper plates um, that are, uh, you 
flat copper plate, you chemically etch an image into it, you ink the plate, put a piece of paper with it, you run it through a press and you get an inked photograph. So I took these seven plates and water jet cut them, designed the still, and then had it water jet cut to the pattern and then rolled it through a metal roller and a guy TIG welded it together for me. That's so, very impressive. Uh, yeah, so well, how, how big was that, that still? 45 gallons. I wow. Could, yeah. So um, I could finish 45 gallons finished, had a thump keg and it would um, produce about 15 gallons of finished whiskey. Okay, cool. That's unreal. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And so I, um, I started in 300 square feet and I had, uh, I didn't want to use direct fire. I wanted to use steam to be safe. And I started looking up what was small as a steam generator and um, found a steam shower, home steam unit for a steam shower. Creates, you know, in an hour, 400 square feet of steam or something like that. Like, that sounds good. That should probably work. I mean, I literally didn't do calculations. I just kind of felt like it would work. And so I bought this $1,500 steam unit and uh hooked it up electrical had it all wired in and hooked it up to the um my pipes and all put a steam trap on the back of my still so that when the steam came through the trap would trap it until it condensed to hot water and um first time turned it on pushed the button and it came on steam's flowing it was really beautiful and i'm like yeah here we go and um <laughs> An hour later, it cut off, went click. And I was like, huh, that's funny. Walked over there, everything's hot, working right. You know, the, the steam trap was spitting condensed hot water out and then it stopped. And so I touched the button again, it came back on. I'm like, great. Hour later, it turned off and I'm like, oh my God, it's got an automatic off. It's a home unit. So for the, la the next two and a half years, every time I cooked, every time I finished, stripped, whatever I did, I had to reset that button every 45 minutes to hour um, for 15 hour finish runs, six hour cooks. Um, I, I would uh, go, I'd go home, cook dinner, come back, push the button, go home, eat dinner. I'd go to a liquor store, sell whiskey, come back, push the button, go to the next liquor store. <laughs> Oh, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little crazy, but uh, passionate. So that, that's that's a common type of story, and and Wes probably knows more than any of us. But that's a common story that yep. you know distillers when they're starting out, they you know they they do the hard yards to start with. Um, yeah, something that you know as um, simple, but as as difficult to deal with as that. So, you know, uh, yeah, kudos. That's unreal. Yeah. Even yeah. even my um stripping still is <laughs> a bit of four inch copper pipe that I've myself braised on some some uh yeah, tri clamp endings and very bad welding and brazing myself, but hey, it, it makes really good whiskey and rum, so you know, yeah, I love it. Uh, that's the beauty of small distilleries. Yeah, it was it it was and um I agree. I have, I have parts and stuff where I, you know, nickel, nickel braised or soldered, nickel soldered 
because um, you can nickel solder stainless to stainless or copper to stainless. And I learned that. Um, and so I have a, they still use a bucket that I made in the distillery that I made 10 years ago where it's got a wire handle off of a plastic bucket. It's a stainless steel five gallon bucket. It's, it's got a wire off a plastic bucket for the handle. And then I took another handle and put it on the bottom, almost the bottom of the bucket so that you can pick it up and pour it, you know, and um, they still use it in the distillery today. And there's a lot of that, you know, ingenuity, you know, when, when you want something to work and you just figure it out, you know. Why? Uh, sorry. Uh, that That's unreal. It, it just, um, it, it, I really enjoy those stories, you know, when we're talking to um, distillers and, and, you know, just craft people in, in general, you know, like the things that they, they do at the start and, and the fact that it, it stays, it stays with the distillery um, long into success is, is um, even, even better still. Um, I just wondering, so what, talk to us about the name, um, 291. Um, how, how did that come about? Yeah. So, um, 291, um, you know, when I started, when I started it or was thinking about it and building it and, you know, um, I had a whole, um, kind of made up story, right. You know, um, and, and I'm really happy I didn't go down that path. I started that way a little bit and, um, I just, it just didn't feel right for me. And, and I mean, I'm talking before maybe about the time I made whiskey for the first time, but I, but um, what resonated was 291 and 291 is because it was the very first photo gallery ever in the world. Gallery 291, 291 Fifth Avenue, New York, um, 1907. Um, Alfred Stieglitz started it, wanted to uh, show photographs by themselves, not in salons with paintings. So he opened this gallery. And when I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia for photography school, I moved in. My dorm room was 291 and I didn't know of the gallery yet. And then I learned of the gallery in photo history, you know, first quarter, first semester and was like, oh, I'm meant to be a photographer. I'm, I'm living in dorm room 291. And then when came to making whiskey, I, I just was like, you know, I just built my still out of photogravure plates. The process of distillation reminds me of the dark room. I think 291 is the right name for it. And um, so that's, that's where it came from. And um, I, I still have that story that I wrote long ago about, you know, finding a barrel in my basement with the, with 291 stamped on the barrel with the recipe and all that's bullshit. But, um, so it, um, you know, it was my dorm room. I have the key to this day. It, it's still about created art photography. You know, it's, they just came together to make incredible whiskey. So how incredible is that that i love how you've tied like it's like you've just flowed like your whole uh like um your whole work history 
like to just keep on flowing into a new direction and you're still continuing the theme of that as well which is fantastic i love um i love that story with uh yeah the 291 concept that's awesome and how it just flows from photography into yeah whiskey and you can like you just said it's like it's still creating art like process um so that's that's so cool i love hearing those backstories um there was there was something i was going to ask but are we at a point where we can start drinking it because i'll tell you what i'm thirsty oh i started <laughs> so well what do you have in your glass at the moment what, what, are, you, what are you sipping on Michael? um so i'm traveling so i i could only get what i had um and so i have a 291 small batch bourbon um yep. i do have a bottle of rye behind me over there um but you guys have from what i understand you have the small batch but you also have the colorado which is the whiskey i set out to make um and that the, it, it is a rye whiskey yes single barrel barrel proof um that is my whiskey um and and it doesn't say rye on it for that reason because that was it actually was my second recipe um and but it it's the whiskey i really set out to make i love rye whiskey and i wanted something big bold beautiful um rugged refined rebellious like me but big bold beautiful like the state of colorado um friend of mine called it uh, unapologetic rye um but i didn't want rye on the label because i set out to make a colorado whiskey so the same whiskey, the same mash bill, same whiskey is in the small batch rye whiskey. Um, they're both 61% uh, malt rye, 39% corn. The small batch is just batched and cut to bottle proof. So 101.7. Um, but, but the interesting thing is too, another story is, is that um, I, my very first recipe, my very first experiment is my bourbon recipe. So, um, well, slightly different. Um, Mike Bristol, Bristol Brewing Company gave me a bag, 50 pound bag of corn. I was going to mash in. It was over the weekend. I went to the home brew shop. I knew I needed malt and I knew I wanted to use rye. So they had rye malt and I'm like, great. Um, that's how little I knew about distillation. I'm like, rye malt, that works. Um, I, I wasn't dying to use malt barley for some reason. And um, so I got enough uh, rye malt to make 80% uh, corn, 20% malt rye mash. And, and today that bourbon mash bill is 80% uh, corn, 19% malt rye, 1% malt barley. And that literally was the first experiment, first first batch um and and it's won major awards it's done it's a great bourbon um and then the rye that we're talking about the colorado whiskey was literally my second recipe um and that was based a little bit on i love thomas handy from you know buffalo trace antique collection and um they back in the day used to hand out um when a bar would buy the whiskey, they'd hand out a, a paper that talked about it and gave you the mash bill percentages a little bit, um, but they don't use rye malt. They use raw rye and, and, but they have a high bourbon content. So our high corn content. So I, I thought 
I would loosely base my second recipe on that ratio. So that one is 61% malt rye, 39% corn. Um, it's, it's a very pretty whiskey. Um, yeah. And in that one, uh, the whiskey Bible gave me 94 points, um, in 2012, um, on barrel number two of that whiskey and barrel number one, um, it, it got 89 or 90 points. I mean, nothing, you know, <laughs> still amazing barrel one of my first whiskey. Um, and, and, but the wording was like, it was like the hitting the side of the Rocky mountains in a steam train. <laughs> so it was a little, it was a little harsh on the finish, but it wasn't that it wasn't harsh. I mean, compared to what really harsh is. So, yeah. Still, it's, um, uh, it's all right. Now, Vic looked like he had something to say. Yep. Uh, Michael, Michael, let's go back to, uh, 2017 to De Denver. Tell us, tell us what that felt like. 2017. Denver, the, the international, um, double gold 2017 and 2018. You won some award over there. Yeah, I've, I've won. Um, yeah, Denver, it's amazing to win those awards with Denver. Um, I mean, I've won. It's incredible. Um, you know, the, the getting that from Jim Murray was um, Whiskey Bible was incredible because it, it just was like free. You know, I just send him whiskey and he tells you what he thinks. And, and that's amazing. So in 2013, I won on my third recipe, I won 95 and a half points. And those are liquid gold from the whiskey Bible. Um, and then the other ones, you have to spend money to submit, which I understand because they put out all the stuff. And, and so, you know, slowly I started submitting and, and all of a sudden double gold Denver, um, double gold San Francisco, gold San Francisco. Um, and then 2016 was my first time presenting to Whiskey Magazine. And um, so sent in a few bottles, you know, and Whiskey Magazine, they want three or four bottles. Um, I'm making 60 gallons a month, you know, and then I moved up and I'm making a few more gallons, but not a lot. And, um, but I'm like, okay, it's time. Let's see what the real world says too. I mean, the whiskey Bibles, the real world, all those are, but you just whiskey magazine. And, um, they, they send me an email and they're like, the awards show is going to be in New York. Um, on this date, you should buy tickets and come. And I'm like, okay, they just paper in the seats. They just want people there to, you know, um, there's no way I want anything, you know, or I just was like, nah, I don't, one, I don't have the money to go. And it, I, I don't have the money to go if I'm not winning because, you know, and um, so I didn't go and I won uh, America's Best Rye Whiskey uh, 2016, um, no, age, no age statement. It was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> and then 2017, I think I came in third place, fourth place, um, somewhere in there. I mean, 
with great company. Thomas Handy was in it, Knob Creek Rye. Um, I mean, so not, you know, and, and I think 2017, I think, yeah, uh, Law's Whiskey out of Denver won World's America's Best and then World's Best. And I was there and I met Jeff Arnett from Jack Daniels that now has company distilling and we became fast friends. And so 17 was great. 2018, they're like, you know, come to New York. And I'm like, okay, I'll come to New York. And, and um, I win uh, America's Best Rye Whiskey and then went on to go to London and win World's Best Rye Whiskey. And that's just amazing. I mean, it, it's like to think of where I came from, not knowing anything, not, you know, and, and winning these awards. And um, the, the really interesting thing about that is um, in 2017, I realized this, but the, the night of 9-11, I spent um, the night at a friend's apartment. Our whole family did, about seven families did, on Northmore Street in the same building <clears throat> that the Brandy Library is where they gave out those awards. So full circle, um, here I am back in New York with a whole different career, winning major awards in the building, more or less the last place I kind of stayed in New York you know, after 9-11. So um, pretty amazing. Um, but all those awards, every time I win, we go crazy. You know, we um, we just, Whiskey Magazine again, America's best um, craft distillery um, and America's best brand ambassador. So Philip Raleigh, um, who's an amazing uh, salesman, brand ambassador, um, just won this award. And it's the first time that a craft brand ambassador has won the award. We go um, to London March 24th um, to, to find out if we win world's best. So we'll see. But um, all those things, I mean, it, it's it, incredibly impressive um, and, and humbling to win all those awards. That is, I love I love that and my hat off to you because it's uh you've you've gone through a fair bit to get to where you are and a lot of people uh like it's it's easy for people to turn around and say uh that you know um with with regards to what you just said before um that you could you know what? I lost a lot of thought. It sounded real good in the back of my head, but I think I'm still, I'm still taking. You know what it is? I'm taken back by the story. It really is. It really is humbling, and really is amazing to hear you um, to to tell us about the journey because there's such emotion and drive behind it, and it's visible. You can see it, and the proof is what we say. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding, really. Which you're you're being rewarded really by all the uh, the hard yards that you've had to go through and just the whole journey process. And it's been a massive uh, learning curve for you too. I think Brad's about to chip in with something here as well. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, like um, obviously that time in New York um, back in 2011 was, uh, you know, like that that was a tough time for everybody. I mean, it was, it was yeah. difficult for us. 
uh, sorry, 2001, it was a difficult time for us in Australia to to come to terms with, and um, you know, I'm sure that was across the world. And and the thing about your story is is that you've taken that and you know. You've taken that experience basically, and like you said, you know, you've come full circle with that, and and not turned it into something good, but you've, you know, I don't know, it, it's like a a nod to that time, and and you know, uh, yeah, I think that I think that's a great story. It's amazing. You more or less pay homage to uh, to that period, or yeah, yeah exactly, but, yeah. Um, and in fact, I saw on your um on the website that. Uh, your first whiskey was um, September 11. Um, oh, sorry. Yep. Yeah, September 11, 2011. Was that right? That is correct. So yeah. that, and it, it, it was, um, it is paying homage. Um, and, and September 11, 2011. So I, I brought all that copper rolled to, to the welder and he kept putting it off because he was, he hadn't welded, TIG welded copper in a while. And so he was a little worked up. He's a master, amazing welder. And, and he just was, you know, and I kept pushing him. I finally said, Al, you're costing me money. We got to get this thing built. So he started building it. He said, show up Monday. And we started building it, you know, holding parts. And he was welding and stuff like that. And um, it finished. And it was somewhere... I don't know, uh, September 5th or somewhere I could probably find the date, but somewhere close to the 11th, maybe even the 7th. And, and I just was like, you know, um, I'm ready to do a finish run, but I think I'm going to just wait till September 11th and, and try and remake, remake that anniversary for me. And so, so I did, and and, sorry, and, and it, it just, um, even, even this year. So we, you know, um, our 10th anniversary, September 11th, 2021. And that day I heard very little about nine 11 and I'm not trying, I'm not trying to take anything away from everybody that experienced that day or lost people or lost loved ones and family and friends and all. But I was definitely close enough that I need to remake what that day is for me. So. Cheers to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. First responders, people lost. Friends, yep. family, everything. Cheers. September 11, 2011, first still run. Um, Eric Jett is my master distiller. Master, I don't like that word, actually. Um, he's my distiller, um, head distiller. And, and he came on 
2014, so I've been doing it a few years, um, maybe 2013. We always, but somewhere in there, and freelancing for me. I met him in two weeks after uh, 20 uh, September 11, 2011. Um, so I had just been distilling for two weeks, and I met this man. We were doing a, a Distillers Guild, uh, Colorado Distillers Guild tasting. We were at Stranahan's in in Denver, and and um, the Stranahan's team came walking up to my table, and I had white whiskey. I mean, I nothing was aged, nothing, just white and uh, white dog. And they they walked up to my table and poured them some. There were about six of them, and they were like, "Oh my God, this is the best white dog we've ever had." And it was just like, "What? <laughs> you know, are you kidding me?" And they're like, "No." this is amazing. And Eric was in the group and he was, um, tasting it and just could name so many notes and, and just really enjoyed the white dog. And, um, I left there and went back. Um, and Mike Bristol, like I talked about, um, told him, I said, I, I met my first hire and it took me three years to get into a bigger space and producing more and all like that, um, to hire him but he's been with me since. And he was on hiatus. He, he had left Stranahan, so I didn't poach him. Um, and I reached out to him and he's like, sure, I'll come down. And so he started out where he drove down Denver, spent the night on my sofa and would mash in. Um, and then when it was done, he'd come back. Either I would strip it and he'd come back and finish it or vice versa, different ways like that. So, um, um, yeah. Um, amazing that's kind of how my team's been built um you know it was me for two and a half three years by myself and then i started building the team and now we're 30 uh about 30 um 22 full-time and then the rest are all part-time it's it's amazing so um yeah michael that's absolutely amazing to hear your story up until now and just tasting this small batch bourbon i think um what I can get for it and why it is so good. And in Australia, we're using small format casks as well. But what you've really nailed with this is you've the spirit and the flavor from the grains in that has really stood up to that cask, um, which, yeah, I take my hat off to you because I don't think anyone in Australia has probably matched that with what you're doing there. Like those grains are just singing in, in that in that whiskey. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite amazing. So, yeah, um, obviously, you you know, without getting into the detail, you, you, the process that you're going through in your mashing and your, your, your fermenting and your distilling, you, you definitely that seems to be your focus um, from what I can see tasting that. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I always say this, a lot of lightning strikes. I, I'm, you know, um, meaning a lot of luck, a lot of, and, and time, like, if I was 25 years old, I wouldn't be making this whiskey. It'd be a different thing. Um, I don't know. It may be really good. It may not, but, um, but I, um, sorry, I lost my thought. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, lightning strikes. Um, I just, I, I think that a lot of things came together. I, you know, self-talked, um, YouTube books. Um, I love to cook. 
Um, so I think all those things, the dark room, you know, I, I would be on, um, at a convention or whatever, talking sometimes, or people would ask and, or listening actually more than anything and, and hearing people, um, talk about, oh, I was a home brewer or I was a brewer making beer and I always wanted to distill. And I would sit there and be like, I, I don't have any homebrew experience. I don't know, you know, what, what was my homebrew experience? And what I came to was cooking and the dark room. And those two things came together to make really good whiskey. And, and for me, and, you know, I watched um, Popcorn Sutton, um, you know, the famous, <laughs> his documentary. I've watched that, <laughs> watch that about a hundred times. <laughs> so, so what I learned from that, Love it. The, one, the one thing that I know I pulled from that was there's a part where the whiskey's coming off the still and he, um, he takes a little twig and he breaks it and he sticks it in the end of the worm. And he says, if it comes out of the, the worm, uh, thicker than the stick, it's fighting whiskey. Yep. And what he meant by that was don't, don't run fast. Yep. You got to slow it down. And the slower you can s distill, the cleaner the whiskey. Yep. And so, so I really, that was one main thing that I understood from him. And, yeah. I still use a twig sometimes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I've, got an I've got an olive tree right next to the distillery and I always know what size get that twig and um yeah it, it works and I, and I think going back to what you're saying as well same with me the I've, i was a home brewer distiller by cooking as well i think knowing your flavors and you know having a passion for that as well has really helped me as in what i'm doing because you are basically putting a recipe together and trying to get all those flavors to come together where you're making your changes for your mashing for your distilling um, to make that finished product. So yeah, I love hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah. And where you make your cuts. So in that yes. 300 square foot space, right. I'm, I'm brand new at this and they're talking about head cuts, tail cuts. And I'm like, Oh my God, how, how, you know, the whiskey's coming off. And, and I knew with a head cut, you could, you could taste it and you could, you know, also a, it's a percentage cut actually more than, but you can taste it to just make sure. And so I did that cut and then, you know, I'm running the hearts the whole day, you know, like I said, 15 hour run, I mean, slow. And, um, and so it was an arc, you know, this arc of distilling for me. And so started to get to the tail cut and that's the art of distillation. That's where you make decisions that really matter. And so the, more water vapors coming over less alcohol so it's proofed down at this time you know and that's your 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 water vapors what's carrying your um, flavor you know ethanol carries no flavor and so it starts coming off and it starts dropping pretty quick and i'm like okay what how am i going to make this cut i've never done this so i started collecting in in quart mason jars <laughs> you know and just had like seven um seven 10 mason jars lined up and then knew like tasted it and it tasted like pond water. And I'm like, okay, that definitely is not going back in there. But so I turned the still off. And so I'd taste each one. I'd be like, yeah, that one's still good. And in the percentage of, you know, the 15 gallons I had collected. So I knew like, you know, two inches in a mason jar 
wasn't going to affect that so much. You know, it, heavy a heavy flavor might, but so I'd pour it back and then I'd taste the other ones and I'd be like, hmm, I don't know, maybe both these, maybe not. And that's that's literally how I decided my tail cut. Yep. And yep. to this day, those tail cuts, those, you know, the proof and the time and taste all happen because of that. And yeah. Yeah. And, and those tails that, that you can, that's where you can pick some really good flavors for your whiskey out of those tails. I find if I can get that right and go in just enough or not too far, you can yeah get some really amazing flavor profile. Yeah. And sugars and sweet, you know, your sugars are coming through residual sugars, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the place to, to really work on your whiskey production yeah. as well. Yeah. And another thing I talked about that arc, you know, I um, did a class with Dave Pickerel. He was coming to Breckenridge and I was like, I want to, I want to watch that class. I want to be in it. So I volunteered. I didn't have the cash to, to go. And um, so I volunteered to help him and he runs a, he ran, um, sorry, we lost him, but um, he ran a still like a Ferrari, you know, like, like I'm, I'm doing the arc, you know, throughout the day because I'm doing a bunch of other things. I can't sit on the still. And he just sat on the still, you know, 500 gallon still with plates and all. And I don't have a plate. I just have thump thumpers. I like that. I like three times pot distilled. Um, but he would run it um, where it, it hit a peak and then it would flatten out for the day and it'd be a certain, and then it would drop off. And that was when he cut it. And it was amazing to watch that. Um, I watched him run it twice, two, two days. And um, it was impressive. Um, and we run a little more like that now that we have a team. Um, but, but it's interesting to, you know, see how people run stills, how they make different cuts, how they figure it out, all that. It's amazing to be a part of that. So. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, once you see someone and I think you become like that, um, that example, like when you start out, you're sniffing and you're tasting and you're doing this and eventually, you know, you if you you'll always have that run where you go why didn't this yield i don't know why for some reason um and you're scratching your head but i think if you you got to go into it with that mindset i'm not here to and that's my mindset to fill barrels because sometimes i make my cut and go geez i would have liked a bit more than that but you got to you can't go oh, i'll just run it a bit longer to fill that barrel you know but i think after doing it you know your processes and you know your temperatures and you know where you need to sit and it becomes a bit more of a process uh, from experience. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So, so you're saying it's it's repetition, right? Like once you yeah once you get to what works, it, it, you just repeat that same process. Is that right? Yeah, it, it's more of well, not always, but it, it it's more getting your mashing right, your sugar conversion, your fermenting. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if all of that process is going right, you pretty well know that you're going to get this much off the end but you still I, I never still make a cut without sniffing and tasting at the end so oh, yeah. um you know that and that but you know you generally it, it's you know you, you're going to get this much of this um amount of time but that takes years to get that sort of uh in your head and that information and and i also believe that um 
and I'm sure there's science to this, but I don't, I don't know that. Um, I'm more the art side of it. Um, that, that a mash, you know, hit, hits a higher temperature and stuff, stuff like that. And in, in beer making, you don't want those higher temperatures because it makes what they call off notes. Well, off notes distilled down, add character to whiskey, yep. right? So we want it to get hot at times, but I think that, you know, a, a fermentation can hit different temperatures, different things and create different character to that mash where there's a mash right next to it. That's hitting different lower mm. temperatures, things like that, that, that are yep. creating character, but not as much. And so the cut, I think on the, those kind of runs can go deeper because there's less character mm. where the higher character mash, all of a sudden you're, you know, early on you're hitting, you're getting a lot of character that you really don't want. And, and so there, mm. you know, it's a fine balance and, and you can get close, like, you know, um, but barometric pressure changes a still run, you know, a storm yep. coming in changes how the still reacts. Um, it's and amazing. Then, yeah. You know, fermentation, you know, I mean, there's times where it just stops and you're like, we didn't do anything <laughs> different. What the hell? You know, and, and I remember being in a 50 gallon, you know, stainless tank drum, plastic drum fermenting. And here we are in 1500 gallon tanks and it's exactly the same thing happening. And, you know, it's like, is it the season? Are we switching from spring to summer or winter to spring? Yeah. Is that what, what, you know? And it's those amazing. things all matter. Yeah. And we, we sort of let our ferments, we let everything be influenced by the weather as well. We don't do any controlled, um, you know, we don't have controlled temperature fermenters. We just put, you know, and that's the thing. Every week it changes, the weather changes. And it's amazing how those flavors in that ferment will change, you know, with the weather doing its thing. And it's interesting you say about the weather changing in the still. That's my biggest, that does my head in so much sometimes. I just go, why the heck? And I know it's the weather. This still is a being a pig today. <laughs> and, and yesterday it wasn't. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I about, bet this. Tell us I about bet your, um, sorry, Brad. No, you're all right. Do you want to go first? I was just okay. going to say, I bet, about, some, um, I bet there's somebody out there go. that's 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 got the telemetry of, of, you know, everything that they've done over time. Um, and, and, you know, has some idea on why it changes like that. But, oh, man, yeah. there must be so all, many variables. All the yep. big guys have, have, you know, figured all that science out. Um, but, but it's, you know, the art of it is figuring that science out for yourself, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. you can You can make lab whiskey or you can make fucking really good whiskey. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Tell us That's about it. your... Um... Tell us about your barrels. Tell us about where you get um, those um, beautiful, so, um, those beautiful barrels from. Tell uh, us about the wood. Thanks, Vic. It's um, the barrel mill. So um, I, I, I don't, I don't always like to talk about the small format without people um, tasting my whiskey first, because um, everybody has their opinion about small barrels and and. All like that. But you don't have. You don't have to. Um, you don't have to, um, Michael. It's all good. Um, so, you know, I, I started in that three hundred square foot space, right? And uh, a fifty three gallon barrel wouldn't fit through the door. 
let alone, you know, I'm making 60 gallons a month. Um, that's one barrel, you know, and, and then I'm going to sit on it for four years. And so to me, that didn't make sense. And, and there was a lot, you know, 10 years ago, um, it was all new about small format barrels and, and what they did and how they reacted. And, um, and so that was my only option. Right. And, and cause I'm bootstrapping it. I did, I didn't go raise $20 million and, um, one, I'd never made whiskey. Nobody would have given me the money. Um, but, um, so I ordered, I, I looked for barrel, small barrels, and somehow I came across uh, the barrel mill out of Avon, Minnesota, and they FedExed me a barrel. <laughs> it came in a box. The, the cardboard box was beat up because the barrel inside was so heavy. It just was, there were no more corners. It was kind of rolled around. And, um, and so I got a 10 gallon barrel and filled it up, you know, and ordered another one, got a 10 gallon barrel, filled it up. And, and, um, and early on, I knew the, the flavor that barrel imparted was amazing. Um, just, I don't know what they do, but it's American white oak, deep charred, um, you know, whiskey char, um, alligator char, whatever you want to call it. And, and they just, my mash, my, my white dog in those barrels make incredible whiskey, you know, at least for my palate, you know, and there's people that don't like my whiskey and I'm fine with that. I mean, everybody has their palate. Everybody knows what they like and how they like it. So, um, drink what you like. Don't drink shit. <laughs> don't drink things you don't like. Um, Absolutely. And I'll tell you something, you will love Australian whiskey because most Australian whiskeys are big and bold. And um, this might come as a surprise to you, but the guys will attest for me. There is a lot of people in Australia using small barrels, a lot. It's great. And, um, and, and, you know, I I know that um, Garrison Brothers started that way. You know, there's a few of us that have started that way. And, um, I, th- I think my, luckily, um, me using rye malt and my mash bill and my cuts and all those kind of things really mm. were perfect for smaller format barrels. Not to say we're in some 30 gallons. We've cracked a 53 gallon. We're in 53s. I, I know my whiskey will be even that much better in, in larger format barrels. I, I know that, but I'm still bootstrapping, you know, and it's hard to sit on a million dollars worth of whiskey for four years. Let, I mean, one year, let alone four years. Right. So. Yep. Um, yeah. That, and that's where we're at here, really, because you've got those different windows you can work with, with a one year old whiskey in a small format barrel. And I think the grains you've got, like I said, I don't think in Australia we're using small format. I started out with, um, similar size barrels and I've gone to bigger barrels um, here because I think the corn you use, the rye you use, the malted rye and corn really stand up better than our Australian barley in those barrels um, for the flavours. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, it, you know, um, it's (laughs) all kinds of reasons, uh, you know, um, to, to, to make a whiskey, right. And it comes off the still and you know it 
you you usually know with the white dog coming off whether it's going to be good. Like if it's really good coming off the still, you're like, oh, damn, this is going to be amazing in a barrel, you know. Um, but there's times where you're not really sure. And so to, as someone that didn't know what he was doing and, and you know, um, to sit on it for four years and then find out that it doesn't taste good. You know, um, we actually had a time where I was, I was trying to daisy chain my stills together. So to strip, tie into my um, finish, into the thump keg and finish. And I did one run and we filled uh, a few barrels, not a few, maybe just one barrel um, with that run. And it was barrel 41. And somehow um, back that long ago, nobody tasted... I thought we were all tasting every barrel, but obviously we didn't. And that barrel came out and I think I had, was tasting a bottle at a tasting. And I was like, what is wrong with this? And I had somebody taste it that knew my whiskey well, and, and they thought I was playing a joke on them. And so we pulled, we found every bottle except for one. But, but if I had done that, you know, and hadn't tasted it and, Actually, it wasn't even the barrel. It was more the daisy chain didn't work. Um, but I could have filled a bunch of barrels, sat on them for four years, and then been like, you know, no whiskey. And there are things like that where you just, you know, luck, <laughs> somebody looking out for you, making sure you're not going down the wrong path. Um, I don't know. And um, I know it's worth uh, like adding on to what Vic had mentioned earlier with uh, Australia also uh, doing a similar thing with the small barrel program. And I know a lot of that, uh, not only is it like uh, discovering uh, like your recipe with regards to whiskey and like and getting the chemistry right, but also um, a challenge that we've got here in Australia is our, is our rapid climate that we have to contend with. Uh, so, and to try to, uh, uh, counter that, uh, sometimes the larger format, <clears throat> people are working towards larger format, uh, casks now, but, uh, sometimes, um, nothing too small, but still small format on the, on the grand scale. Uh, sometimes that works more in our favor because we're able to control the outcome a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, with the kind of spirit that, uh, or the kind of white dog um, that we produce. So, is uh, do you find that the um, also the the kind of climate that Colorado also faces has that similar challenge as well with your uh, with your barrels or? So, um, and and we don't, or we haven't. We just moved into a new space a year ago, and and we it's climate controlled, but not on purpose. It's just in the distillery. It's part of a warehouse. It's not separate. So we do. Um, so there's change in our barrels. We turn the heat up at night um, when nobody's there. We just crank it up to 80 degrees. And um, so we're paying for that. But um, but other than that, no moisture control. Um, and, and I the great thing about Colorado for me is 
it's kind of the sweet spot of the barrel house in, in Kentucky and Tennessee, where they talk about, you know, the higher floors start to dry out and, um, you know, they, you're losing moisture instead of alcohol. And, and so that's what happens in Colorado. We lose more, our, our barrels go up in proof. They don't go down. Um, it's very rare for them to go down in proof. And um, I think that's a really nice thing because the water gets so concentrated. And that's why that Colorado whiskey and the barrel proof bourbon that you, you guys have there. I mean, you know, um, if you take that whiskey, it's all really bundled up and pulled in really beautifully with, with a lot of character. And you take a drop. I mean, I'm literally a single drop of water into one of those barrel proofs and it just, just starts to open up. The other way is just to leave it out, you know, um, pour yourself a glass in the morning and come home at night and leave that glass wide open and drink that. And it's amazing what happens to that whiskey. It just opens up like a fine wine. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I really think that the moisture loss just condenses all those flavors and are really beautiful. Um, but people, you know, you gotta have bottle proof. Um, and, and it's, the whiskey's still really good. It's just we get to experience it when we cut the whiskey in in the distillery. So I'm just um, and that was exactly what I've done uh, with your whiskeys prior to starting this podcast as well. Is of you know of um once we discovered that we were an hour early and I hadn't had the time to have myself some breakfast yet, I thought now's a perfect chance. I'll crack these open and just let them breathe. And they've been doing some gorgeous stuff in the glass um the small batch bourbon is just um just i mean even even the empty glass now has got some yeah some lovely like uh chocolatey notes some uh some herbal notes um the the rye is floral herbal a lot more spice behind it real gorgeous stuff and um and there's also savory elements to it as well i get on the nose and it's um yeah, it really does take you on a bit of a uh, bit of a nasal trip, which is awesome. I, I love that stuff. Um, and I don't know if anyone was going to bring this up, but whilst I was opening these bottles, we noticed a little uh, a little trademark of yours, which is the little middle uh, going on. So, 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 what's a little story with this one? Is uh, because I've I've not commonly seen this on bottles. That's that's why I ask. Yeah. So is there a story with that one or always there's always stories with me. <laughs> um, Vic, Vic, did you have a question first? No, no, answer that one. I'll, I'll go next. I'll go next. Okay. Tell us about uh, the little puppies. Okay. Okay. Um, so the cage. Um, yeah. So when I was young uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, TBS was on, um, you know, Turner broadcasting. Uh, was Channel 13, a UHF, and and they would uh, have cartoons on in the Saturday morning, and then cartoons would move into old movies and then some westerns and stuff like that. So if it was raining, like in the morning, I watched cartoons, and then you know I was ready to go outside. If it was raining, I'd just keep watching old movies and westerns, and 
and that's I think where the fashion came from for me and a lot of stuff like that and influenced me big time. Um, but I thought I thought I saw it on a western on Saturday morning. It comes to came to find out that a friend found it for me, and it was a Little House on the Prairie episode, and um, it was long long hard day. I think is the episode name, and um, they were transporting nitroglycerin um, for a re mine or something. I don't know, but they didn't want it to blow up. So you know if nitro jolts it'll blow up and or at least that's what they said in the show and and so i watched it like intently and they wired it in you know to float in this wagon so it wouldn't if it hit a rock or whatever it wouldn't jolt and um so i was i'm making high proof western whiskey you gotta wire it in so that's where that comes from i like it i'm a fan that is a great story. A great story. Uh, Michael, um, you don't have to answer this question. We can edit it out. Um, the, with the water, two, two quick questions. Where do you source your water from? And also, what's the lowest ABV that you've brought your whiskey down to? Because thinking of different world markets, with Scotland bringing a lot of their whiskeys down, especially in the past, to uh, 80 proof, 40%. And um, even some Australian distilleries, they bring down, I'll give you an example of what the biggest Sydney distillery, they have their trade market uh, 46, I believe. Um, what is the lowest you brought your ABV down and, and your water? Beautiful water, where does it uh, come from? So the water comes from the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> Can't get any better water. Um, you know, Colorado Springs has a, um, a limestone shelf as well and so it, it's just colorado water it's amazing you know we filter it a little bit but but um we don't add anything in and um, it, it's just works really well um and and then um what was the other question the end of that Sorry. i um i really i really believe i'm a firm believer in um spring oh, water and using natural water i know a lot of big distilleries they decide to use osmosis they they look at it in some big cities and um you have to respect that each their own and um people have to do what they have to do but i am a firm believer of um, the natural water we have a lot of distilleries in tasmania where is the the spiritual home of australian whiskey and a very similar to scotch and um they use a lot of spring water where's uses spring water from underground and um, down the road from where I live, my local distillery and I always drive away, they live in a valley and they use spring water that runs down the mountain. Right. So I am a firm believer of it. Second part, um, which you don't have to answer, like I said before, um, what's the lowest you've cut your whiskey down to? What's the lowest ABV, lowest proof? In, in a bottle or in my glass? <laughs> oh, um, both. But you, no, you answer so, the way you feel. So I... Um, yeah, and and we've done all that with water backing up to number one, and um, it we did osmosis and we tried different things and um, and they none of them added anything. It just, if anything, it took away from it. So that's why we stay where we are. Um, proof. Um, so <laughs> it's a funny story. The the two ninety one. 
um, small batch rye is proofed at 101.7 proof. Um, where that came from is I was proofing the white dog originally to put it in a bottle before I was had finished aged whiskey. And I wanted to hit 100 proof and I was brand new at proofing. So I, um, I was like inching up on 100 and it got to 101.6. And I was like, you know, I'm good because I can't back up and I don't want to, you know. So I, um, I stopped there, bottled that came back to bottling again, another batch of, of white dog, uh, 291 Colorado rye whiskey, white dog, which is bottled for cocktails and it's white whiskey. And, um, it hit 101.7 and I'm like, it's meant to be. So I left it at that. Um, and then when I did the bourbon, um, I, I was good at, or I understood proofing and, didn't have a problem. So I hit it at a hundred. Um, and then I do, uh, the fresh 291 fresh, I proof down to 90. Um, it, it's cocktail proof. Uh, it stands up in the, in a cocktail really nicely. Um, and then, um, I make a, a light aged. So it's the bourbon mash bill, 80% corn, 19% malt rye, 1% malt barley. Um, I proof that down. It goes in used barrels, used bourbon barrels. And I proof that to 90 and it, it's a really, it's, I call it my summer whiskey. It's a really easy drinking whiskey. Um, and then in the glass, I've proofed it. I'm not a big fan of my whiskey's not precious. So I don't care how you drink it. If you drink in 291, I'm happy. Um, I drink it in lemonade. I drink it in Mountain Dew. I drink it neat. I drink it all kinds of ways. Lemonade, I said lemonade. I, Bloody Marys, my rye make an amazing Bloody Mary. Um, but I've never really been a big fan of putting water in my whiskey or putting ice in it. And uh, the about a month ago, maybe a little longer, I was drinking 291 Ilm at my house. And so I had a glass that I had drank water out of. I thought it was empty and I picked up and poured the elm in there actually not the elm um my latest e which is bourbon that marion eves um blended for us and i took it and poured it in the glass and it's barrel proof you know one one twenty something one twenty eight or somewhere in there and i realized right when i was pouring it, it was a little dark i'm like damn there was still water in there and i'm like well i'm not gonna pour it out so i started drinking it and it it was probably you know, um, I don't know, 40 proof, maybe even less, you know, 100, 128 cut in half is somewhere around 40 proof probably. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. And I don't, you know, drinking a little slower. And um, so that's probably the lowest I've proofed it and drank it. I mean, actually, that's not true. I did meet a scientist when I first started. Um, um, brown foreman guy or somebody like that and he uh first thing he did he didn't even drink it he poured a ton of water in a, a shot of whiskey and started smelling it and he's like yeah if you proof it down you'll smell every off note if there's an off note in it and i was like wow okay yep. learn something yeah yeah so and i do that a lot with my whiskeys i'll 
proof them right down and then I, I try and look for everything that's in there. So, and I do that a lot of whiskies that I drink too. Um, other distilleries, proof it right down and just explore it a bit more. Probably my, me out of interest as a distiller, what I can find sneaking around in there. Yep. Yep, exactly. And the other thing, um, I, John, I think you talked about this, um, smelling the glass. So I love tasting whiskey that way. I finish a glass of whiskey and then let it start drying and you will taste or smell every note you're supposed to taste in that whiskey. And when it totally dries out completely and there's that fun, funny pond water smell, that's the tails. And that's when you, you know, um, it's the best thing to teach somebody how to taste whiskey by just letting, you know, they drink a little bit of the whiskey and then letting that glass dry and smelling it every minute, every 30 seconds and um, seeing what you smell. So. Yep, definitely. And I also, sorry to cut you off, Mick. I know you're, I know you're itching and we'll get back to you in a sec. One thing I know that works cause I tend to, I've, um, I've got the reputation of trying things like as far as whether it be, I actually do Boilermaker reviews, so I love pairing my whiskey back with beers. Um, but as a, a palate reset, I also tend to use chocolates in between. And with your small batch rye, I've noticed that if you have sea salt dark chocolate, all of a sudden, beef brisket, bomb. Now love I it. just want to have beef brisket all of a sudden because that's what I'm getting from this whiskey. It is fantastic it just uh, just unlocked such a savory note which is what i was picking up on a little bit earlier when i mentioned it in the in the like in the notes and yeah that chocolate's just really unlocked that like next level uh savory and yeah very beef briskety so i think barbecue is going to be on the lunch call for me today after that effort <laughs> did mick have a question hi mick nice to meet you yeah, yeah. Thank you. Apologies for my tardiness. Um, as you can see, I'm in an office here and it's lovely to meet you, Mike. Um, what can I say? Um, first off, I, I, as the, the five of us or the six of us, I think we take a fair bit of pride in, um, in the fact that we don't ask for freebies. or None of us look for handouts or anything like that. We generally buy all our own whiskey and we share it amongst each other. I have exchanged... In my collection, I've exchanged a bottle with the man there, Wes, but you are the first person that's ever given me whiskey. So that's that you, that's the first free bottle I have in my collection, and um, I'm eternally grateful for that and very humbled by that, um, that you're sending it all the way from the States. That's just amazing. Um, Our look, pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, being at work, and I mean, being the owner, I could start drinking now at work, but I won't. I'll be responsible for once. <laughs> <laughs> you need but, to start making whiskey and then you can drink at work that's it that's yeah <laughs> oh yeah hang on hang on who are you and what have you done with mick <laughs> imposter yeah so um yeah i'll keep it short and sweet thank you so much for uh for sending your product all the way to uh cans um i have another question but it's for one of the members that are here Where's how much of this stuff have you got left? I'm sure you won't have much left, mate. Well, I'm not. I'm just that's going to the vault that bottle because it's so special. Um, and uh, Michael, it's very hard to get 
Australian whiskey into America, but um, my next release is I'm going to try and get some to you of my whiskey um, if customs don't get hold of it and drink it. Vic's pretty good at smuggling um, bottles around the world, so I might get some assistance from him. Um, and I always say if, if, it, if it's his name on it, it's we're fine. He can spend a few years in jail. Not, not a problem. Um, so definitely, um, yeah, I don't want to open that and I want to repay the favour as well. Um, I did crack the samples, I'll be honest, the small bottles, because I really wanted to try your whiskey before we got here. And, and um, yeah, got into a mix having a go at me because he um, gave me a bottle of E.H. Taylor for Christmas and it lasted about a week. So that's why he's asking the question. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, definitely love these samples. And, yeah, I'm just onto the, the small batch right now. The, the um, barrel-proof bourbon, like I said, the, the flavours in there are just so amazing. As John said, the no, the flavour in your nose, it, the experience through your nose is just amazing, just complexity of the spirit. Um, and that whiskey is just second to none. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so much. amazing. And that's what I, and that's what we're aiming for. Look, that's, I just love seeing what you're doing. We're years behind you, but yeah, I can, I just love to listening to your journey and your story and tasting this stuff. It's just, yeah. Priceless experience. So yeah. to, to speak to John about the meat, right? So, um, like I said, I, I read, I, you know, uh, watch YouTubes and all this. And there, there was a, a research done, the Scottish Distillers Guild or somebody like that, some science, whatever. And they wanted to find out what flavors came from stainless. Like, so they took like four different stills, one fully stainless, one with a little bit of copper, a little more, a little more copper. And, and the more, the one thing I heard is the more copper distillate goes across the the better the whiskey so everything should be copper to a point and and my stills are built that way except for my stripping still and what what they said the flavor that they noticed with just straight stainless uh was um there was a meatiness to the whiskey and so i thought i like that i'm making colorado whiskey it's got to be meaty it's got to be big you know and so i i started out with a stripping still that was stainless and then i did a i did do a test with just copper copper all the way through and and it it actually to me i lost that meatiness that saltiness i lost something and so i went back to a 55 gallon stainless drum as as the tank with a column of copper and then a condenser of copper and so to this day my my two stripping stills that i have are 55 or 150 sorry 1500 gallon stripping stills and the tanks are all stainless the coil in it to heat its copper everything else is copper but but the tank and i do uh, believe that's where that note comes from that you're talking about that so, actually makes sense. Yeah, it's it's not the first time I've heard that um, as well. Uh, coming from uh, like a, a stainless steel uh, based environment, where it's obviously not uh, getting all those like the sulfur notes out from the from the spirit. So yeah, and like and savory is very. You either really like it or you don't like it at all. It's that's one thing I've come to grow uh, come to notice in the whiskey scene, and I. 
like because I'm a, a massive flavor of my heavily peated whiskies in particular, uh, uh, and and that's coming from a single malt um, uh, background. That's I'm drawn to big flavor profiles and like you know very earthy and very like very savory and like smoked out. No worries. So the second I pick up on that, I'm just like, hey, <laughs> this is this is my style. That's my jam right there. So very good. I'm actually just about to um, to finally get into the barrel proof bourbon. I don't know if anyone else has dipped into that yet, or probably already finished off their samples. <laughs> bit, a bit late for the party, but don't mind me at all. <laughs> um, Vic, did you you had something that you were going to ask before? Yeah, um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Marianne Eves. I've been following her work forever. Um, one of my actually favorite bottles is from Castle and Key when she was there, the Pinhook Four Year, uh, this right time, mm-hmm. and um, I couldn't um, I couldn't be more, I can I say joyful. I was uh, I was actually, I was actually in the train when I going through Instagram when I realized that she came to you guys and blending all the stuff and I just shouted out, fuck, no way. And I had like 20 <laughs> commuters turn back and look at me. And um, yeah, that was, uh, that's going to be one of the highlights of my uh, whiskey life. Um, would you like to uh, to talk a little bit about that experience, having Marianne coming to your distillery and blending some of your uh, beautiful, precious gold? Yeah. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to be quick about this. I've got dinner reservations in 15 minutes um, just across the street, but I already got a text from my girlfriend that she's at the bar across the street. I'm like, damn. <laughs> but um, so we like meeting uh, new people take us with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, sent, okay. I sent her whiskey through Instagram. And that's how we became boyfriend and girlfriend. So pretty amazing story as well but um marion eves back up let's talk about her um she um i don't i came across her when i was you know early on um at castle and key and and woodford um she was there first and um knew knew her and and actually went to do a bourbon crusaders um her parker heritage thing where they were releasing Parker Heritage and Bourbon Crusaders knew about us and asked us to come to Louisville and pour the the appetizer whiskey more or less the you know when you show up the, the first thing you get and we we're like oh my god and so that was amazing and I'm standing there and Marion Eves walks in and I was just like Oh my God, I know you, you know, from Instagram or whatever. And she, she kind of backed up and her, uh, and, and so, and I talked to her and, and that was about it. And then went on and a few years later, you know, uh, she left Castle and Key and was doing something new and she just reached out and we had bumped into each other again a couple of times. And, um, she's like, I'm doing this project, Eve's blind. Um, I want to show people in the whiskey world that it doesn't have to come from Kentucky. I want to show them that their, their distilleries doing amazing things outside of Kentucky. And I love Kentucky bourbon. I love Tennessee whiskey. I, you know, I grew up on it. So, um, 
you know, but I love that I make Colorado whiskey. <clears throat> so when I got the email, I'm like, you know, yes, <laughs> on board. What do you want? How do, what do we do? And she did, she came to the distillery and we pulled a ton of barrels for her bourbon for her to taste. And, and she went through and we talked and tasted and she was there for a week or so. Um, and, and she pulled the lots that, you know, the ones that she wanted. And she's like, um, these are the, bar these are the barrels from these lots and let's blend them. And, and what's amazing is, you know, I talk about my whiskey being uh, big, bold and beautiful, rugged, refined, rebellious. And if you know, Marianne, she's this soft, beautiful woman, floral, you know, very flowery, um, um, uh, special person and um <clears throat> so she took my big whiskey and made it still 291 because it's my you know we make everything from scratch always have and um so it's my whiskey and she made it taste kind of like her <laughs> and it it was funny because it's really soft it's really pretty it's really beautiful and floral um, she just pulled all those notes out and to see someone take something you make and the way you blend it and the way you, you know, mean it to be, and then they take it and twist it a little bit and just gives it a new, new note to it that you just like, damn, okay, <laughs> this is fun. Wow. It's like, it's like tuning a race car, right? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty um, amazing. And she's a dear friend. I mean, we now definitely we've had a lot of fun together and she's an amazing woman um the launch of that she had her baby a brand she has a young three-year-old i think and then she had a brand new baby she's sitting there telling everybody thank you you know and rocking her baby and pushing the stroller i have video of it and it's amazing she's a badass woman that's awesome um michael i suppose i maybe gotta go um i'd love to five minutes um where's the what's the future hold for 291 <laughs> good question um we are we are just you know six, 60 gallons a month in that 300 square foot space we're in 26,000 square feet now um just took over 14,000 of that so it's brand new but um we are making 600 gallons a week we hope to be up you know to in december somewhere like that double that 1200 gallons a week but that's a long haul and a lot of chilling and a lot of steam to get to that you know so but um we're just out to make the best whiskey we can make every day and um getting more of it out to people like you so you can enjoy it and and you know become 291 family if you're drinking 291 we we call you family and um you know, uh, there's a lot more things experimental. We didn't even talk about my e-label, which is my experimental batch label. And um, I have a four grain weeded rye coming out that I've never heard of anybody doing a four grain rye, let alone weeded. Um, the white dog on that was amazing. I have a, a my bourbon mash bill I turned into a weeded bourbon mash bill. Um, that's another experiment that's coming out about the same time and that, that may be this year or middle of next year. I'm not sure, 
just depends on when we taste it, what it tastes like. But that's the early future. Far future is just make as much whiskey as we can, um, staying with the quality and the, the care and everything we do, the love and all. Um, my team, my, I, you know, just building my team bigger and bigger um, to share 291. Um, Brad? I, I think I think we've got like a gazillion questions that we want to ask you, you know, like I, um, I've read about the, the you know, I, I read an article where you've got Sam Elliott as a muse. Um, you know, I'm sure Wes has got a lot of questions about your processes and things like that. And Mick is, Mick is the, the talker in our group, as in like he... He's he's the guy that 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 asks the the hard hitting questions, you know. And he's only been in he's only been in here for a, a, a short time, so he's he's probably got a heap of questions as well. So I'm just wondering, maybe maybe we can we can set up another one of these chats um, sometime in the the near future, and we can um, we can go through some more things because I've I've personally I've really enjoyed listening to everything that you've said. Um, I love the story and. Um, yeah, I want to find more, find out more about this stuff. Thank you, and and I would love to talk more. I I love, I love this kind of format. You know, I started out telling my story, and I tried to stop per, so you guys will ask questions. That's what I like. I I can tell my story, and you guys won't have to ask one question, but that's no fun. So um, I I'd, I'd love to. It, have, it's it's not too bad for us. We 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 don't mind. But but I you know I love the questions because it leads me in different ways and. The one thing I left out is um, the one thing that I do with my whiskey is I finish it on aspen wood staves. So I take toasted pieces of aspen and put them in the barrel or put them in the batch. Um, yeah. It's a lot of people think that's why my whiskey tastes different. The reason my whiskey tastes different is is the 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 the, the way the stills built, all those things. Um, the Aspen just adds a slight change to it. I mean, really slight. It's amazing when people taste the difference. They're like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Um, but it adds a little spice, a little smoke, and and pushes caramel notes to maple. And that's about it. And it's a very soft note. Um, it's not a big push. But, um, but I would love to talk again. I work it out with Emily, um, answer more questions. I love questions. I love telling what I know, you know, is it right? Who knows? But you know, I'll I'll, I'll give you an opinion. I mean, well, from from what I'm tasting, it is definitely right. You know, um, thank you. Everything that I've tried today is is outstanding. Um, so, and I'm and I'll be honest, I'm I'll be the first to say I'm not a big bourbon drinker, but I'm really enjoying this stuff. This is really good. Thank you. So good luck to you guys for the rest of the day, because if I start drinking at nine. Yeah, it's downhill from there. <laughs> it, it'll be midnight and I'll be drunk as hell. Yeah. So, uh, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's been an absolute pleasure like uh having you on board with us. And like like Brad said, the um like the, the story behind your journey is just is just awe-inspiring, it really is. And um and to try some of your whiskeys. Um, if this is what the tale uh, tells us now, well, then I'm going to love to see the direction that you take 291 in the near future. So, you know, um, 
hats off to you for making you know a lovely product and also and thanks once again for the samples that you've been able to provide you know so generously so and um yeah uh if there's anything else um that anyone else wants to add in um yeah th thanking you very much for for your time yep. with us thank you i just i just want to add the touch to the 291 family cheers to that thank yep. you guys thank you yeah really cheers Really great meeting you guys, and hopefully I'll get to Australia um, yeah. sooner than later. I really, I haven't ever been, yep. uh, but a dear friend of mine goes all the time. He's married to Aussie, and uh, so hopefully that will ha happen soon. Um, but cheers! It was great talking to you guys, and seriously, reach out to Emily. Come for the let's, let's come, come for the know. Australian Whiskey Awards next year in February, mate. <laughs> Sit on our table. Okay, <laughs> try to figure that out. I yeah. like that. Right. you guys have a great day that's great i'm gonna have a great evening drink more whiskey cheers and, uh, you too thank you, you too have a, have, a good, have a good night thanks thanks michael thanks, thank you bye guys thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.